Hey everyone, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly. I'm your host, George Heffler, and this is the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least, and today's guest is Marissa Carpico. How you doing, Marissa? Good. Ready to uh, talk about horror, man. Are you a big fan of horror in general? Um, Yeah, a little bit. I wasn't for a long time, partially because of the movie we're going to talk about today, because I saw it a little too young, and, and then I had a roommate in at the end of college who uh, loved horror and a couple friends who really loved horror. And um, we watched a, a horror movie every day in October. And, and since Classic. then I've sort of been converted. That's awesome. Yeah. I, it's funny. I've been talking to a lot of people on this podcast who have all had a similar experience where we all watched a movie too young. <laughs> it scared <laughs> us off for a while. And then we all find our way back to the genre somehow. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting facet of horror in general that uh is not really something that happens with a lot of other genres maybe with some like uh like classics from the 50s and stuff where kids might watch it and not be interested because it's quote unquote too old uh, Mm -hmm. and then come back to it with a little bit more of appreciation which uh, i know you have a big appreciation for those movies as well yeah, I was a weirdo, though. I never was, like, un- not into those. My favorite movie as a kid was, like, Anti-Mame from, like, 1968, so that I'm not a normal child. <laughs> right, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so what – you said that you, you've gotten into horror now at this point. Uh, what is your favorite kind of horror? It's hard to say. I mean, I, I'll watch pretty much anything at this point. I love a creature feature. Um, yeah. You know, I love Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um but I don't know. I think it's hard to say. Like, I think maybe creature features and and honestly, like something a little meta, if you will, um, yeah. or like postmodern, um, which, again, I think <laughs> I, I can't. This clearly had a bigger influence when I was watching the film. I was like, oh, my God, this had such a huge influence on what I like about horror, because it's it is both a creature feature and a um, and a postmodern one, because it's it's constantly, you know, sort of quoting to Christmas movies. Sure. Well, so on that note, let's not waste any more time. The movie that we're talking about today is 1984's Gremlins, uh, a stone cold classic. And before I hear from anybody saying (laughs) that this is not a horror movie, I want to head that off at the pass. It is absolutely a horror movie. Uh, It's a creature feature, like you said. Absolutely. Just it has a ton of horrific stuff in it that we'll talk about. Yeah. And. It's, it's very similar to movies like Critters, um, Tremors, stuff like that, that absolutely gets labeled a horror movie. But this movie almost gets penalized for being successful at being funny. <laughs> People say it's a comedy. I think that it's absolutely a horror movie that has comedic moments um, and just a well-written script that has humor for uh, to break the tension. And that means that the horrific stuff is that much more horrific. Yeah. Party. Uh, Exactly. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So just to give a little synopsis of what the movie is about it, for those of you who have somehow (laughs) missed this movie over the years, a boy, Billy Peltzer, inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters on a small town. Now, that's the synopsis that I grabbed from IMDb. And I got to say that that is uh, putting it extremely mildly mm-hmm. <laughs> about uh, the the importance of the rules and the the chaos that these that these gremlins uh, bring upon the town. It's it's really incredible. Now. Speaking of Billy Peltzer, we'll we'll start talking about the cast a little bit. It's uh, Billy Peltzer himself is played by Zach Galligan, 
Uh, and he does a really great job of kind of embodying that guy next door, just a, oh shucks, gee whiz, sort of small town guy. And we meet him and he immediately, uh, the first scene is him with a broken car and he's down on his luck. And this is something that the movie does really well, in my opinion, is that everybody is characterized and established for, as their character from the very first moment. You really get a sense of them right away. It's not just Billy. Billy's dad, his first scene is actually the first scene of the movie, and it's him trying to sell a, frankly, not that awesome uh, invention that he created, being a little bit of a huckster, but you can tell he's got a good heart. He's looking for a gift for his son. The villainous Mrs. Deagle shows up, who is played by uh, Polly Holiday, who is absolutely just really in, in enjoying being a villain. <laughs> she threatens dogs. She tells people that she doesn't care that it's Christmas, that it's the bank and her have the same purpose to make money. <laughs> and she says that to a mother asking for an extension on the rent so that they can celebrate the holidays. And I think that that's something that this movie does really incredibly is that character establishment. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a it's a really smart opening because you're it totally like establishes the tropes you know she's the she's the Scrooge of the the whole thing and and there's that that sort of rah rah American neighbor who yep. first mentions Gremlins you know yes by, Dick Miller saying, as Murray Futterman exactly and like saying like you know that car is you know full of Gremlins or whatever <laughs> basically uh, yeah he's he's really great and and like you said it is really an awesome opening. And so some of the other characters that we see, uh, Howie Mandel actually voices Gizmo, which is not something I knew until very recently. Phoebe Cates is is a character named Kate, and she does a really awesome job. She has to do a really interesting job in this movie because she kind of has a little bit of the darkness of the movie in her character story. Her father died uh, during Christmas, and she has this monologue about finding her father in the chimney and it's just I, I was reading a story about how they wanted to take it out uh the studio did because they weren't sure if it was supposed to be funny or horrific and i that says so much about the movie yeah it, this monologue is so good and it it blends the two so well that it really i think kind of embodies the movie a little bit yeah i mean i think it's the darkest thing in the it's one of the fucking darkest things i've ever heard in a horror film yeah. honestly like yeah. it's just so rough and shit because her whole thing she's like and then we found him and then he was dressed as santa with presents over his shoulder and then the whole thing ends with like you know and that's why i don't celebrate christmas <laughs> fucking a yep. and and it's nice because it's not even like this comes out of nowhere again there's some great characterization and the, and the writing as well is done well uh, she, at the beginning of the movie, when she's talking to Billy, she is talking about how people are really depressed around the holidays. And uh, she says, some people are opening their presents while others are opening their wrists. <laughs> and it's, it's just uh, her line delivery in this movie is so good. Uh, and she really, I think, is an under underappreciated hero of this movie. Oh, yeah. Because um, she's sort of like the girl next door, but also the darkest girl next door at <laughs> yeah. the same time. Absolutely. Like she's, she's happy. She works at the bar. She's real nice. And then you bring up Christmas and she was like, and she's just like slit your wrists open. It's like, mm -hmm. God damn 
girl, calm down. <laughs> and one other character that I want to mention, Corey Feldman plays Pete Fountaine. And I am kind of, I was thinking about it as I was watching this movie. I'm a little surprised that Corey Feldman is not really acknowledged as a horror icon, but he is in so many classic horror movies. He's in The Burbs. He's in The Lost Boys. He's in Friday the 13th, part four. He's in this, and that's just the good ones. (laughs) There are dozens of terrible horror movies that he's in as well. Uh, so I, I want to give a little bit of appreciation to Corey Feldman. Uh, y- you know, he had a little bit of a, a rough, rough patch here, but he, he's he's done a lot for the genre of horror. And I, I just want to appreciate him for that. Oh, yeah. So we have all these characters. They're dealing with just this. So also, all right, let me back up. There, there are the three rules that I mentioned before. And the rules are you can't get them wet. You can't put them into bright light, and you can't feed them after midnight. Now, uh, I'm of the opinion that every horror movie needs to have rules. They don't necessarily need to be as explicitly stated as this, but if you don't have rules for your monster or your villain, then you never really feel afraid because you're just like, well, he can do whatever. They can do whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, But by putting these rules so explicitly at the top, it really – sets you up for the tension of watching them get broken and right away they go to take a picture of gizmo the the mogwai who is gifted to billy and he cries out in pain and you go all right these are these are serious rules like he's clearly in agony from this light and after that they get wet and like five or six more mogwai jump off of this thing and at that point you're like well, these these are like the consequences for breaking these rules are very serious. So it's established. <laughs> yeah. And and so when it finally they get they eat after midnight and they start transforming into the actual gremlins, these mogwai, they go into the, the pupil stage first and you are just waiting for what's going to come out of them. It, yeah. You know, it's going to be bad. Well, because they also look like the little alien pods from, oh, yeah. from the Alien series. So you're like, oh, shit. Something. <laughs> and especially the way the practical effects here are so good because it's like mm-hmm. it. you can see that they they literally started to, you know, molt or whatever in motion. So they're like crawling towards the outdoors and they're, yeah. they're all sort of placed in where they were, where they finally couldn't move anymore. It's so gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I also... When they finally do eat, they turn into the gremlins, they hatch. There's more immediate characterization. This isn't just for the the humans, even. You immediately, Stripe, the leader of the gremlins, tries to bite Corey Feldman. So again, they're right away being, this is, this is what you can expect from this character. Uh, which, it's, the fact that it's not just, like, it's not easy to do that for people much less for a creature that can't really talk so i you know really just a spectacular job so giving credit where credit is due this is written by chris columbus who is mostly known as a director but he has written a handful of of pretty good scripts he wrote this he wrote the goonies uh young sherlock holmes is pretty good as well so you know shout out to chris columbus even though he certainly his work as a director has sort of overshadowed it but it's directed by Joe Dante and Joe Dante has had such a weird career in that 
you know, a lot of directors, when they kind of find their niche, they stick to it. And then you look at Joe Dante's filmography, and he jumps from Piranha to Rock and Roll High School, which is a movie that I love. That mm-hmm. is, It's kind of like an update of Grease for people who haven't seen it. But with 70s punk and rock, it's really awesome. People should check it out. He worked on the Police Squad TV show. He directed Inner Space, the Laugh Out Loud comedy. It's it's really insane to see how all over the map Joe Dante has been. And he's had a really awesome career. He also directed The Burbs, which I mentioned before, um, again, with Corey Feldman. So uh, these two have really done an awesome job. And then to round out the the talent behind the camera, it's produced by by Steven Spielberg, of all people, uh, you know, no, also known for his uh, his creature movies with E.T. and Jaws. Having his creative vision helping out Joe Dante and Chris Columbus, it's no wonder that this movie is so good. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sort of discussion about whether he sort of like pushed the more family friendly kind of cutesy stuff, which I, I think works. But I I know rubs some people the wrong way. I mean, the only thing that that sort of annoys me in it is Corey Feldman's character. I, I think he should be eaten by one of them, at least, or you know, <laughs> yeah. a pack of them. But otherwise, um Listen, you know, Gizmo's fucking cute. That's why Furby sold so well. Yeah, I not only did Furby sell well, in my youth, I had a Gizmo Furby. And it was awesome. And I don't know where it went. And I bet that it got sold in a garage sale. And I'm (laughs) sad about it. (laughs) Probably a collector's item now. It it probably is. I I don't like to think about it too much. (laughs) (laughs) So we've talked about the 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 behind the camera stuff but i want to get into establishing this as a horror movie you know it, it really we've talked about why it's good but the actual action in this movie is nuts poor uh, zach galligan's mom gets the worst of it absolutely she gets attacked in her own house uh she has to blend up a gremlin <laughs> that the blood goes everywhere she has yep. to stab one Yep. And then uh, in one of the grossest scenes I've seen in a long time, she microwaves one <laughs> that just explodes inside of the of the microwave. It's grotesque. It's so good. I, I love that moment. I rewound that whole scene because it's just so fucking fun and such a yeah. subversion of like you would cl- quickly kill off a mom character in mm-hmm. in a in a house with some something she doesn't know about but you know she's she she kills off basically all the main first batch of new gremlins or you know yeah. mogwai uh that that ha- that like you know happened from from just gizmo like she basically gets all of them except for stripe and he's a fucker so you know of course she didn't get him <laughs> yeah she is extremely competent <laughs> and like you said, Stripe is the only one who gets away, and he he gets out into the into the town and starts really causing havoc. Roy Hansen, the biology teacher, who is uh, he he takes a blood test from a, a mogwai that had gotten brought to him by Billy, and that mogwai also turns into a gremlin, kills the biology teacher right away. Then they go and shoot Mrs. Deagle, the villain, <laughs> out of the window. In what is a hilarious scene, and it's very satisfying to see her get her comeuppance, but the idea, like, it feels like something that could actually go wrong with one of those chairs. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
sitting in those, I I would be so nervous about it just from watching this movie because you can't control technology. Yeah. <laughs> it's on its own. So the fact that that could, she, she has trouble walking, to clarify. So she has one of those uh, chairs that lets her travel up and down flights of stairs. And they the gremlins mess with the wiring in it. And it goes super fast, launches her out the window right in front of the, the cops. Uh, these these inept cops in this town then literally watch a dude in a Santa outfit get murdered right in front of them. <laughs> and they're they're like, hey, are you OK, buddy? And he's he's like, yeah, hey, get these things off of me. And they just kind of roll up the window. Yeah, they roll up the window and drive away. <laughs> they go, I want to go back to the police station. You're so, like, do something about these guys, especially because at this point, they do know, like, they've been told yeah. about the Yeah, I mean, they didn't Billy believe Billy when he when he came there and said, hey, there's these little monsters. They're like, okay, buddy, lay off the eggnog. And then, you know, <laughs> they see that Santa and they're like, well, he was right. I guess we better leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really funny. There, There's all this stuff going on. And while these horrific incidents are happening all over town... There's a really awesome score that's happening at the same time that's a really nice blend of a Christmassy music and this eerie horror music that, again, I think really kind of encapsulates the movie in a, in, a, in a wonderful way. That it's it's got all these elements, but it refuses to be boxed in. It has the Christmassy sound, but it has the darkness. Uh, it's great music. It's by uh, Jerry Goldsmith, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And And it's a wonderful score. They really do a great job with it. As they're hunting down these gremlins, Billy and his girlfriend, Kate, are running around trying to stop these gremlins. They go into – well, no, excuse me. First, they see them all watching Snow White in the movie theater. And here we get a little bit more of the comedy because, God, these outfits they're in are just so cute. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're all in fun outfits. Uh, they have like little movie usher uh, outfits on. They're eating popcorn. They have popcorn buckets on their head. Uh, they're having a good time. <laughs> you're yeah. Like, and you, you, know you know, the thing about it is that it's like it makes no sense that they would have outfits and understand <laughs> certain things. But you know what? It's so enjoyable to watch those little bastards, you know, watch you get so much enjoyment out of Snow White yeah. that like you don't care. It doesn't matter. That's it. Like, oh, there's a lot of this movie that you have to kind of just be like, who, it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like the the everyone complains about the rule about not feeding them after midnight. Oh, isn't it always after midnight? Oh, this rule doesn't make any sense. Who cares? You get it. You yeah, neither does the water that. one. We're on Earth, but it, yeah. <laughs> it does not. Not the point. <laughs> yeah, it's you have to just be able to go along for the ride, and I think that people who are uh, obsessed with the pedantry of it are doing themselves a disservice but uh so they're they're in this movie theater billy and kate set it on fire and lock them in and you see all these these gremlins trying to get out and they're getting blown up in a huge explosion that happens in the movie theater and once again the only gremlin left is spike Mm -hmm. spike the unkillable (laughs) yeah because he's across the street getting some candy he sure is. He he needed a refill on his snacks. Totally understandable. And he he's across the street in the in the department store getting candy. And Billy and and Kate see him over there and they go to confront him. Now, this entire time, 
uh, Spike and Gizmo, who is our main Mogwai, the initial Mogwai, have been butting heads. Spike always says, uh, Gizmo Kaka, <laughs> in the most childish taunt, perhaps ever. <laughs> and you're you're waiting for, for this to come to a head. And Billy is getting threatened by a chainsaw from Spike after trying to kill him. And it, it looks like it's dire straits for Billy. He has a baseball bat is all he has to defend him. And that's not going to do a ton against a chainsaw. Things look like it's the end for our hero. Uh, and then Gizmo comes. And, God, he is so cute. And he saves the day. And it's so satisfying for him to be the one who uh, finishes off Spike and by opening up the sunroof in the greenhouse area. They're in, like, the home improvement area, which is why Spike has a chainsaw. He opens up the sunroof and... Spike melts in a truly disgusting fashion. Oh, it's so gross. Especially when it comes flying out afterwards and it's just like a, a blank eye and a, and a skeleton mm-hmm. and it's still somehow breathing. Ugh, it's so gross. Yeah, it's it's really it, it really takes you aback because there's there's been a lot of gremlin blood splatter and stuff. But this is the first like, wow, like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really it's something else. And. It comes together in such a fun way. It all wraps up so nicely. At the end, the Chinese antique store owner comes to collect Gizmo again, and and he says, "I know you weren't supposed to have this, and clearly you're not ready for the responsibility, but maybe one day." And you're like, "Yeah, Billy's a good guy. You know, this is a, a crazy pet, but maybe one day he'll be prepared." And you you leave very satisfied, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's totally a a really good little metaphor for growing up and becoming a man, blah blah blah. It's just uh, it's charming, you know. It's using all these tropes of 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 cinema to to sort of play on our expectations and and surprise us. Not too much, but I don't know. I think it's a lot of fun and and it is totally satisfying. And I'm like, I'm fine with a pleasant little horror movie that you can watch with a, a kid who's old enough. Basically. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so uh, to that point, this movie is credited uh, along with Temple of Doom for inspiring the PG-13 rating, which I totally get. I think that this is a gr- like a perfect PG-13. It's great for kids. It'll give them a little bit of a shock. It'll scare them a little bit. Mm-hmm. But as long as they're uh, of a maturity level that you think is appropriate – this is a great kids movie. It's a great Christmas movie. It's perfect for this time of year. You can watch it any time of year, though, uh, and it will be satisfying no matter when. It was released the same day as Ghostbusters in 1984 and still managed to to become the cultural touchstone that we know. What a day. It, yeah, exactly. What a day. Um, it, it's really impressive what it's managed to do. And just another fun fact about it, it was also on the same set as Back to the Future which uh, is one of my favorite movies of all time. Huh. Yeah. So we've talked we talked a little bit about it. There's, there's some more horrific stuff. The gremlins uh, string up Barney the dog outside to try and freeze him. That's before uh, they're even gremlins. Yeah, that's right. That's when they're mogwise. They're just cruel at that point. Yeah, they're just monsters, little sociopaths. <laughs> um, there's some stuff that's horrific not related to the gremlins. It's obviously 
basically a very economically depressed town. Uh, people have lost their jobs. It's mentioned more than once. The family, when Billy walks in, he asks his mom how she's doing. She says fine, clearly lying. Mm-hmm. She asks him how he's doing. He says he's doing well, also clearly lying. They're all lying to each other about doing okay to try and make themselves feel better. But there is really an aura in this movie that is undeniable of uh, small town depression. Yeah, and it's a good call. I mean, there's a uh, in some ways that's like some what some of the best horror does is to make like to question very slightly in a way that's unexpected the 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 idea of the of America as a perfect perfect place, if you will. This like the idea of this American family with 1.2 kids and a and a dog and and seemingly um an inventor husband who's trying to, you know, become an entrepreneur, but he's just sort of a mediocre dude. So it just never is going to happen. And how sort of, I don't know, stuck everyone feels in that sort of idea of the idyllic suburban lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's interesting that at one point we see they're watching A Wonderful Life, which Mm -hmm. has a similar sort of vibe in that it's, it's, you know, it's very depressing (laughs) in its own way. Uh, the, The main character, uh, is attempting to kill himself in it. And when we when we see them watching the movie, it's towards the end, though. It's, it's, it's the nice part of the movie. You see them say, Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan, in one of my favorite quotes mm-hmm. ever, because it's so silly. Um, and I think that that kind of hope that's in A Wonderful Life is also found here, because... At the end, the dad sells his invention or he trades it for a bunch of cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) And he, you know, Billy fixes everything in in terms of taking care of the the gremlins. He gets a nice compliment from this old Chinese man. Um, He he gets the girl, realistically. Yeah, he does get the girl there, much to Judge Reinhold's chagrin. (laughs) Uh, who is a truly he's a he's a wonderful asshole in this movie. He's yeah. so good. Perfect. So at the end of the day, there's so much that goes into this that creates this horror atmosphere. Uh, but but that tuna hope at the end, it, it, it really is a nice cap on it. Uh, so we, we've talked about the aspects of this movie that come together to create the whole wonderful whole. But uh, Marissa, I'm wondering, can you. Give me your your thoughts on why this is the best horror movie ever made, because a lot of people would say that this is uh, even though it's great, it's great for a Christmas horror movie Mm -hmm. or it's great for a horror comedy. Why do you think this is the best horror movie of all time? Well, I think it's things I've sort of referred to already. It's it's the how aware of is, it is of its history and, and horror tropes and how well it uses them. I mean, there's the, the sort of the alien pod looking things, but there's also that reference to Invasion of the Body Snatchers right before that happens. Yeah. Where it's playing on the television and, and – Yes, the original one. Yes, yes, right, the original one. And there's – a lot of great gory shit in it. You know, there's that scene with um, that we talked about with the fountain, but there's also when Stripe jumps into the pool and, and starts to create that horrible army of gremlins. It's like, you know, here we are. We thought we, we solved the issue and now it's, it's going to get even worse because he's in a fucking pool. And like that moment to me feels like, you know, the original cat people, there's that scene with, with the pool like that that reminds me of that and and there's so much in it that like reminds me of other deliberately reminds you of other things mm-hmm. but it also is like 
I think I always sort of balk at this idea of like if a thing is funny, it can't also be anything else. But I don't know what kind of fucking world y'all people live in. <laughs> but like, I don't think re- real life is literally not like that. So yeah, I, I'm fine with that. So and often realistically, horror and comedy often go hand in hand because of the sort of gallows humor and, and lightning of a mood that that have to happen. I mean, I love a bit of a well-timed bit of comedy. And this is I think this balances it really well, but also has some really scary shit in it. And I, the things that made me terrified of it when I was too young to watch it at like five years old or whatever it was, I think still resonate. There's this idea of the anxiety that it creates, essentially, of like a gremlin could be anywhere. They're they're supposed to be and they're so easy to to create, essentially. Mm-hmm. And people are too irresponsible to not you know, <laughs> not to create more mogwai. That's why we have the new batch. Yeah, it, it's funny because they start breaking the the rules immediately. Oh, sure. Yeah. All three rules are broken in like less than 24 hours. Absolutely. Uh, why, and why are they, the the uh, the gremlins are allowed to drink beer? I yes, I, I thought the same thing. Beer is almost entirely water. It's basically water. <laughs> Here are the gremlins drinking beer. Yeah. But again, I think this that's just, you gotta just go with it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think you're also absolutely right about horror and comedy going hand in hand. I think that's why Jordan Peele is having such great success these days. 100%. Um, and in my opinion, I think that part of what makes this the best horror movie of all time is that it does have a lot of horrific stuff in it, but it has its own spirit as well. And I think that that really shines through because it is a Christmas horror movie. Um, a lot of Christmas horror movies like Black Christmas, like Silent Night, mm-hmm. Deadly Night, like Christmas Evil, very mean-spirited. That's not necessarily a bad thing because I really enjoy a lot of those movies and and they're fun to watch. But Gremlins is is not that. It's light. It's fun. It it's it has the scares in it, but it's it has this fun spirit to it that is not found in many horror movies. And the fact that it manages to do this while being family friendly, having great practical effects. Real I I know that we already mentioned it, but it bears repeating that these effects are truly wonderful. They're and, excellent. They stand up so well. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it's funny going and watching older horror movies that rely on practical effects. CGI has its place, there's no denying it, but it it really ages the movie, I think, when because when CGI has advanced so far, and you go back and look at at movies like Blade, which are so good, and then there's a blood tornado and demons that come out and look just terrible compared to the rest of the movie, this doesn't have that issue because the practical effects hold up. They look real because they are real. Yeah. I mean, we're 35 years down the line from this thing, and it still is – it doesn't age poorly at all, the, the effects. You know, the closest thing that could happen would be the the new pool generated gremlins are running down the street. But that shit works, man. It's fun. Those miniatures yeah. are really fun. Absolutely. So in conclusion, it has its own spirit. It it delivers the scares. It delivers the comedy. Uh, it never loses track of who it is. And that's why it's the best horror movie ever made. Yeah. Marissa, I really want to thank you for coming on to talk about this movie with me. I It's one of my favorite movies as well. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Um, I'm sure I will have things coming out around whenever this, this comes out. Um, if you just go to the pop I am sure there are hundreds of, of reviews that I have posted 
Yeah, yeah. Marissa, she is constantly working <laughs> for the pop break, and her reviews are always great. She's also really awesome on Letterboxd. You should look for her on there as well. Um, oh, thank you. I have I've learned a lot from her and uh, have added several movies to my watch list based on her recommendations. So definitely I'm check always, her out. On- I'm always so excited when you watch something that I've seen. I'm like, oh, sweet. George is going to watch whatever. I'm, I want to see what he thought. Yeah. So check her out on there. You can check me out on there as well, George Heff. There is a best little horror house in Philly list where we keep track of the movies we've watched. Uh, you can see some reviews on there. You can leave comments. Let me know what you thought of the movie. And you can find me on Twitter at Gerg Hef. That's G-E-R-G-H-E-F. Uh, and uh, thanks again, Marissa. And I hope everyone enjoyed listening and has a wonderful holiday season. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.